He's just giving gifts, praising the king. Glory to God. Well, I will have to say, you talk about giving gifts. I'm telling you, I will be glad when Christmas is over so I can walk in the ministry center. <laughs> I can't get in and out of my house. <laughs> you saw it, did you, Gita? It's full. I'm telling you, praise the Lord. There is people, there were some people coming out there, some ladies the other day, I don't know who they were, from, I think from Christ Haven, and they saw what we had there, and they asked there, says, did y'all get a grant from the government, or what did y'all do? <laughs> Isn't it amazing what just a few people can do for the kingdom of God? You know, no, we don't get no grants from the government. We get grants from Jesus. You know, he moves on people's hearts. In fact, last night, uh, Cheryl's supposed to be here any minute. I don't know if she's still out or was out shopping. She called me and said, I'm going to quit shopping at 530 and check out. And said, I'll be there as soon as I can get there. But uh, she went down to a big furniture store. Uh, a man told her, said, all this furniture and stuff you need for these women, these battered women. He said, i got a whole bunch of stuff, you know, that uh, I'll be happy to donate to that organization. So she and Christy went down there yesterday afternoon, and before they left, he gave her over $10,000 worth of furniture. She come home last night praising the king. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing what God's people can do, you know? I mean, I'm beginning to understand what God says when he says, Moses, you think my arm's getting shorter? <laughs> I don't believe his arms get any shorter. Do you? No, I don't believe the king's arms get no shorter. I mean, it's just, it just absolutely amazing. Just like today, this morning, when, or last night, actually, in the wee hours this morning, about two, uh, Jenny had brought the last sack of mail up ready to go this morning so I could take it to the post office today. I literally had the back of my pickup full of sacks of mail. I mean, I don't know how many hundred pieces of mail we had going out today, but there was hundreds of them. I just, it's astronomical. You know, I mean, I had at least, at least six or seven huge sacks of mail, you know, that's going out. Hundreds and hundreds of different packages going out, I think. Lord, if you'd have told me a few years ago I was going to be doing this free in post-state and paying the postage for all this, I'd have thought, hey, no way I could ever do nothing like this. That's what I'd had to look at. He'd have said, Thurman, you think my arm's getting short? <laughs> no, I know it's not. You know, it just, it's amazing. It's just amazing, you know, to think of what we're doing and what everybody's doing out there and what God is doing. It's just astounding. It really is, you know, to think. In fact, last night somebody brought in something said, look here. said, how many years has Andrew Womack been in the business? I said, oh, goodness, I don't know. You know, years, uh, 25, 30 years, I guess. And said, look here. He is last year, or this last year, he mailed out 264,000 CDs and DVDs. They said, man, he ships out lots of stuff, doesn't he? I said, we sent out, we sent out a half a million this year. They said, I said, I pay the bill. I look at those things. I said, we have bought and sent out a half a million CDs and DVDs in 2006. A half a million. That don't count the tapes. But that doesn't count the cassettes and the audio and video cassettes. That's just CDs and DVDs. A half a million. 
You know, that's a bunch. You know it? That's a bunch. It is amazing. You know? And Phil, he's duplicated nearly every one of them. He knows, don't you, Phil? I mean, he's running them machines. He's got, I don't even know how many machines we got now. I've bought some idiot, but I've lost count. I think we've got eight or ten of them, don't we? Ten? Yeah, we got ten machines, and some of them make seven, some of them make nine, some of them make eleven CDs and DVDs at a time. And man, he's got them things running, I mean, day after day after day after day. You know, he runs and makes those things, and then we got those two new printers that cost, 50, uh, well, yeah, $15,000 for those two last printers. I bought $7,000-something a piece, $7,500 a piece for those printers, and they keep those things working. You know, they'll print 300 at a time. We just put them on there and hit the whatever, and they just start printing, and I mean, they just print, and they print, and they print, and they print. And, you know, we got stacks and stacks and stacks of CDs and DVDs sitting around on tables printing it. And then people shoving them in sacks and everything, and then putting them in the mail and putting postage on them, putting the name and address, and shipping them out all over the world. And like I say, today, I must have had, I don't know how many hundred pieces of mail I had, but, man, I had the back of my pickup full of mail today, completely full. That's amazing to think that in the few years that we've been in the ministry, five, really, only five years, that this year alone, we've sent out a half a million CDs and DVDs. Boy, is that amazing or is that amazing? It is amazing. But God's arm is not short. It reaches way out there. I mean, beyond my wildest dreams. But now then, let's go ahead and let's get a little bit more into how we get these prayers answered and why sometimes we don't get our prayers answered and how we need to... Do what the Word of God says. Now, some people say, well, I prayed for that once or twice and I didn't get my answer. So, I mean, I guess God's not listening. I just give up. Well, what a shame. I mean, I can think of people that I had prayed for one time and got a tremendous answer. And then I think of people I prayed for for weeks and months before I got my answer. But I didn't never give up. Because I know God's answers to His obedient children are always yes and amen. Uh, Gina's over there pointing her fingers. She said, and I know where that's found. <laughs> it's in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God are yes and amen, aren't they, Gina? Absolutely. So, you get, you, you get called out or something, Keith? Okay, well, praise the Lord. That's one of those things. That's, a, that's the hazards of being a... A working man, <laughs> that's the way life is sometimes. I know I've had those kind of days in my life, lots of them. But now then, in Luke chapter 18, let's start here in Luke 18. And this story is a story in the world about how persistent we should be in the spirit world. Now, this story is about a widow. And she's talking and going before a judge that's just a man of the world. But it says in uh, Luke 18, one says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and to show them that they must never give up. Now, you can't be no clearer in what he's trying to tell us, is it? I mean, here he laid it out. You need to be in constant prayer and to show them that they must never give up. Now, if you don't get your prayer answered the first time, what should you do? Give up? No, if you don't get it answered the second time, what should you do? Give up? 
No. If you don't get an answer the 30th time, what should you do? Give up? No. That's right. No. Especially when you've laid there for years. Years. See, I mean, this little gal, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Well, now, every time I think about it, she come from Midland over the weekend to stay for a healing school, Sunday service, and stay for today so she could get Bible study before she goes back home. But when I think about this little lady, lay in the bed for 10 years, 10 years, beat up on by the devil, and she finally found a ministry, which was ours, that could pray the prayer of faith for her. And Sharon Jones prayed the prayer of faith for her, and God instantly healed this woman of a 10-year bedridden problem. Aren't you glad she didn't give up? See? She kept on. She called. And she and Sharon can pray the prayer of faith. But see, you've got to get somebody that can pray the prayer of faith. The average Christian today can't pray the prayer of faith. The average Christian cannot and does not know how to pray the prayer of faith. You know, they first of all, they don't know the Word. Don't spend no time with God. I mean, you know, they may come to church once in a while. You know, maybe, maybe they're really great Christians and they come every Sunday morning. But they don't go on Sunday night. You know, or they don't spend any time with the king during the week. They're too busy. I mean, they've got their jobs to do, their house cleaning to do, and everything else. And then somebody calls and says, would you pray for me? They said, sure, I'll put you on my prayer list. They write your name down. And do they ever pray for you? No. Never. I mean, there is multitudes of lists in the Baptist churches that I used to attend that they would give you that list. You go home. And I have to say, I was guilty as the rest of them. I'd take that prayer list and I'd go home. Did I ever get on my knees and pray for any one of those people? No, I'd throw it over in the seat of the car. Now, how many of y'all ever been guilty of those things besides me? Now, the rest of you lied. <laughs> well, don't lift your hand. You lied. Because <laughs> I know you've done the same thing. <laughs> we have all been guilty of that. you know. But when you learn how to pray and you learn how persistent you need to be in prayer, then when somebody calls them, could you pray for me? You say, how about right now? I just like today. Kathy answered the phone today, and there was a lady called that said, I want to put myself on y'all's prayer list. Kathy said, what is your need? And the lady told her. She said, okay, let's pray. She said, what? <laughs> Kathy said, well, I thought you said you just have this need. She said, well, I do. She said, well, let's pray right now. So Kathy held her hand. I'm watching her on the phone. She's praying for this woman. And when she gets that prayer done, the lady said, wow, well, if you're going to pray for me like that, then I've got this need also. And she must have kept Kathy on the phone for at least a half hour. I finally went and done some other things. Because when she found out Kathy would pray, and when she heard those bold, awesome prayers of faith that she was sitting out, well, I got this need also, or my son has this need, and my daughter has this need. Would you pray for them too? So, Kathy prayed for that lady for a long time. But see, that's the kind of prayers God hears. Those prayers of faith. You know, I mean, don't just have somebody tell you that they need prayer, and you say, oh, okay, and pat them on the back at church and say, I'll, I'll pray for you. And you don't, you're not going to pray for them. When you walk out that door, you don't remember their name. You don't know who they were. You didn't write down the prayer request on the way home. Somebody said, who was that asked you to pray for them? Well, let's see, somebody did. What did they ask you to pray for? Well, I don't remember. You know, hey, you want to know why we don't get our prayers answered? 
If you don't pray, you're not going to get your prayers answered. And if you don't pray in faith, you're not going to get your prayers answered. So Jesus is telling us here in Luke 18, 1, he is saying there, he said, I've given you this story to illustrate your need for constant prayer. Now, that kind of goes along with what Jesus uh, told us through the Apostle Paul. He said we're supposed to be in prayer continuously, right? That's pretty hard to do, be in prayer continuously. But you can be. You can be talking to the Lord. I don't care what you're doing. I mean, you can be working or doing something else and still be in prayer. And to show them that they must never give up. Remember this. Remember that Jesus himself was telling you never to give up in prayer. Stay there. I mean, get in there. Fight the fight of faith. I think about the man of faith. Some of the stories that I've read about some of these men of faith. And one that just absolutely kind of shocks me was a man of faith was asked to come over to a, a pastor's house. His wife was very critically ill. And when he got there, the doctor had just told them that she was fixing to pass away. So these two preachers were sitting there praying for one another. And one was praying for the one his wife was fixing to pass away. And he said, oh, God, please give Brother Jack the ability to go on once his wife comes home to be with you. And these are the kind of prayers. And then after he prayed the preacher, he prayed the same kind of prayer. The man of God was standing over there in the door. He walked in and he heard what they were doing. He walked over and kicked both of them chairs and said, You unbelievers, get out of the way. He reached over and stuck his bottle of oil and opened it, poured it right down the middle of her and said, God heal her in Jesus' name. And the woman got up off the bed and was completely healed right there. And when she opened her eyes, she said, there's Jesus standing at the foot of my bed. And all it took was a man of God to come on the scene to be bold and violent, and the woman got healed. Now, see, this is the battle we're fighting in the spirit world. These demons of hell come to kill us. They come to put symptoms on us. And when I was talking to uh, Howard Pittman, when we all as a team were talking to Howard Friday, we spent the whole day with him. He's the man who had the death experience. In 79, the Baptist preacher that thought he had done a lot of things for Jesus. And then when he got home, the Lord spoke <laughs> to him and told him, you didn't do nothing for me. He said, you didn't believe my word. He said, you can come in. But he said, you ain't going to get no rewards at all. He said, you didn't do nothing for me while you were down there preaching. And he was devastated. And he said, God, please, if I'm, don't let me, I don't want to come in. If I, can't, if I don't get some rewards, he said, Lord, I don't want to come in. He said, okay, you're not going to get any. But he said, if you, if you don't want to come in like this, I will take you on a trip of the spirit world, and then I will send you back to earth, and I'll let you live for a few more years, and then you can produce some fruit for me. He said, I went to Baptist seminary. They taught me that the baptism of the Holy Spirit wasn't real. He said, they taught me that miracles wasn't real. He said, I believe them. But he said, let me tell you, since I've had my death experience and come back, I've changed my mind. He said, I've said, changed my mind. He said, the God that I stood before, he's a mighty God, an awesome God. And so he really had this experience. And so I asked him a question while I was there. I asked him a lot of questions while we were there. But one of them I said, you know, he said, there's a battle going on that very few people realize that Satan has been empowered to send his demons to afflict us and torment us and to see how we will respond. 
I said, so you wake up one morning with a pain in your hand. If you don't know that's coming from the enemy, you will disagree with it and it'll get worse. He said, that's absolutely right. I said, so if you start agreeing and saying, then the thought will come to your mind, you know, you're 50 or you're 60 or you're 70, and, you know, that's probably arthritis by now in the back of your hand. And you confess, wow, I must be coming down with arthritis. So you go to the doctor and say, doctor, i got this terrible pain in the back of my hand. I must be coming down with arthritis. And he checks and he says, that's exactly what you've got. You've got the beginnings of arthritis. So you go out and start telling everybody, I have arthritis. I have arthritis. Will you pray for me? I have arthritis. And I said, every time you say that, you're claiming it, and the devil's power gets stronger and stronger. He said, that's exactly the way it works, Thurman. Exactly. I said, isn't that amazing? See, when Jesus said, I bore your sickness and I removed your disease on the cross, that's what he meant. So anytime anything that sickness and disease comes to us, we need to realize he's given us power and authority over that. And we don't have to receive from the enemy what he's trying to put on us. But we've totally not believed this book. We just don't believe it. So our confession is so wrong. I mean, when the enemy comes by and begins to put something on us, what do we usually do? We agree with him with our words instead of resisting him. See, Jesus told you in James chapter 4, verse 7, number one, you are to submit yourself to me, God. What does it mean to submit yourself to God? What does it mean? To obey Him. Is that what it says? Obey. Well, if you obey, the police don't ever come after you, do they? No, no. So if you obey, the demons don't come after you either, do they? <laughs> they may try it, but at least if you've submitted yourself to the king, when they do come and try to put something upon you, you can resist them with it is written, and they have to leave you. But we don't know that. We don't know that. So it's just like we have not read the book and believe what it says. But when you begin to get a hold of the fact of who you are and what Jesus did for you on the cross, how he bore your sin on the cross, so you don't have to sin no more. You don't have to sin no more. It's a choice. And he bore our sickness, removed our disease. So we don't have to be sick anymore either. But it's a choice. He allows us to accept the choice. But sometimes we pray and ask the Lord, Lord, will you please take away my sickness or my pain? Number one, if you've got your sin repented of, then you can rebuke that thing and command it to leave in the name of Jesus and it'll go away. He's already done it for you. He's already done it for you. So when you get a hold of this, and you realize that he's on your side, or we're on his side, whichever way you want to say that, he wants to hear our prayer, and he wants to answer our prayer. But there is a battle raging between us and him to keep the prayer from getting answered. And we've seen some examples of that in the Word. I mean, I remember over there in the book of Daniel, that Daniel, one of the greatest men of God that there was, he prayed and asked the Lord for something. And the prayer didn't, wasn't answered. And he didn't appear to get an answer. So he kept praying. He kept fasting. He kept praying day after day after day after day. And most people after a week had said, well, you know, well, God's not hearing me. I mean, he's not going to answer this prayer. But Daniel kept praying on his knees, fasting and praying. And finally, the 21st day, three weeks later, that's forever. 21 days, 
How many people are that persistent? Not very many. How many of us would have given up on day one? For sure on day two or three. I mean, if somebody says, I've been on my knees praying and fasting for five days and I don't have my answer, well, forget it. God's not going to hear your prayer. Forget it. If you've been doing that for five days, no, no, I'm going to stay with it. I thought it was seven days. Fourteen days. They come back, Daniel, you got your prayer answered yet? Nope. Well, give up, you fool. I mean, after all, what do you think? God, he's, he's obviously not going to hear your prayer. But he did hear the prayer. He heard the prayer the first day, and he dispatched an angel to bring the answer. But there was a battle in the heavenlies, a war that went on between the spirit world and the, the good spirit world and the evil spirit world. And as Daniel continued to stay in prayer, finally the angel that was sent to give him the answer had to call back and get Michael to come and help him in this battle. And the 21st day, the angel showed up at his doorstep and said, Daniel, I'm here. The Lord dispatched me to bring me your answer the minute you prayed. He dispatched me. But he said, I had to go through a battle in the heavenlies to get here. Now, because Daniel continued in fasting and prayer, the answer was finally able to get through. See, Jesus is trying to tell us right here in the New Testament, don't ever give up. What if Daniel had to give up in 10 days? What if he had given up in 15 days? What if he had given up in 20 days? He'd have lost it. But he stayed with it. Oh, you have something to say, Ty? I was going to say, the angel said, I've come because of your word. Amen. You have to say it. Amen. Say them out loud, right? I've come because of your word. Yes, see, read the word. Speak it out. Realizing that Jesus is on your side, or you're on His side, that He loves you. He's paid the price for us. And if we have submitted ourselves to Him, we're walking in obedience to His Word. When you find somebody can pray the prayer of faith for you, you can get an answer to your prayer, can't you? Yes, you can. Now, let me tell you, when I look at a lovely lady like this one that's laid there in that bed for ten years, ten years she lay there in that bed. And then she found a woman that could pray a prayer of faith for her, Sharon. And when Sharon got everything taken care of and she prayed the prayer of faith for this lovely woman, God healed her. Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, she, I mean, I'm forever grateful, but not near as much as she is. I mean, she's the one that lay there for 10 years. Now she can get up and go. I mean, just think, 10 years. Isn't that amazing? I'm glad I haven't had to lay there with vertigo for 10 years, aren't you? That make me... Gina, I can just praise him. Can't th- I mean, I was thinking, one of these days, you'll hear it. I was listening to one of those CDs coming down here a while ago, and there was a pastor that was 44 years old. He was preaching the Word and everything, and he was somewhere in Chicago in a hotel on the third or fourth floor, and there was a fire, and he couldn't get out. There was no way. There was too much smoke. And so he went over to the window and looked down, and it's way down there to the concrete. But this thing's burning behind him. So he jumps out the window. He jumps. He fought. Now, I got to thinking, if he'd had time, he could have tied the sheets together. You know, he could have done anything. He could have done something if he'd have been thinking, or if he had time. He might not have. But obviously he didn't have. Because he went finally over to the window and just jumped. 
and he hit feet first, broke his feet, legs. I don't know, broke. I don't know what what all it broke. Now he's laying there. The doctors, when they finally get him and haul him to the hospital, says he ain't gonna make it. But he thinks to myself, I'm gonna make it. I'm going to make it. You know, here he is with all the strength he's got. He's praying and asking God, I'm going to make it. And then after the doctors walk out, he hears them say he ain't gonna make it. So he's laying there saying, God, I'm useless to you now. You know, I'm useless. See, he's listening to the enemy, the one that's trying to kill him. I mean, you can't do nothing for the kingdom of God. You were a great preacher. You can't do nothing now. You're all broke up and stove up, and you ain't going to be able to talk or nothing else. You ain't going to be able to be used for nothing. And he said, I begin to grumble before God. God, why did this happen to me? You know, what is the deal? I was serving you. I was preaching your word. I was doing, now I can't do nothing. And he said, I heard a voice speak to me that's as clear as I, he said, you can worship me. I can, you can worship me. So he said, I went to saying, Lord, in my spirit, I worship you. I praise you. I worship you. Can we worship him at all times? Yes, we can worship him. And I think about Paul, how he had been preaching the gospel, and they didn't like it, and they beat him. I mean, they beat him with the cat of nine tails, and the blood is running down his back. And they take him out there in the prison and they put them stocks out and they put his hands and his feet on and they got him sitting out there on the dirt probably nearly naked. I mean, they beat him. The blood's running down. They have literally beat him with a whip, a cat of nine tails, at least 39 stripes with a cat of nine tails. I ain't never been hit one time with a cat of nine tails. And I don't want to be, but I sure don't want to hit be hit 39 times with one of them things. But Paul's back was hamburger meat. And he was out there in stocks and bunk. Can't you just see him now? God, I don't understand what you've done this for. I'm just so upset with you. Was that what Paul was doing? No. You read the word. What was he doing? He was praising the king. He worshipped him for five minutes. He worshipped him for an hour. He worshipped him for two hours. Three hours. And finally, at midnight, I wonder why it took so long. You reckon God heard him at the first time he worshipped? Why did it take till midnight for the angel to come and the mighty miracle to happen? See, God, He knows what He's doing, doesn't He? He knows the battle that's going on. And because Paul and Barnabas continued to worship and praise, the angel got through and the chains come loose, the jail was open, and everybody was set free. And then they got led the whole bunch to Jesus around there after that because of that mighty miracle. Persistence. I mean, did Paul, was he persistent? You know, now how many of you, let me ask you this question, be truthful tonight. I'm going to say that if that had been me and Ty, and we've both been beaten, I can't talk for him, but I can talk for me. Probably after about 15 minutes, if God had to show up, I'd have said, God, are you really real? <laughs> Here, I'm beat up and I'm bleeding. <laughs> Blood's running down my back. Lord, are you really real? <laughs> We'd have a tendency to think like that, wouldn't we, Ty? Oh, my land. But Paul knew God was real. And that's what he's got to be to you and me. We've got to know he's real. We've got to know that we're in a battle. We've got to know that his answers are always yes. And we've got to worship him and praise him and thank him, just like Paul did. And if it takes till midnight or if it takes all night long, you still worship him. Now, this preacher on this CD I was listening to, as he went to worshiping and praising God, the man fully, completely, over time, it didn't happen overnight, 
But in time, he is fully recovered from that devastating accident. Now, what if he hadn't worshipped God? What if he had really got into a state of grumbling? And what if he hadn't known the word? And what if whenever the doctor said, he ain't going to make it, he would have thought, uh-oh, well, I'm coming home, Jesus. That's all I can do. He would have died. He would have died. But he had dominion over his flesh. And he stayed in persistent prayer, praising and worshiping the Lord. And the Lord brought him through that devastating trial and, and uh, event that he went through and completely healed him. And he preached, and maybe he's still preaching. I didn't listen to the rest of the CD. I don't know how long ago this was. But I know Paul preached for many a year. And then finally one day, they cut his head off, at least what I heard. You know, Paul got killed, you know, because of preaching the Word. But no big deal. You know, he said to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, how many of us can look at it like that? You know, how many of us? Well, that's the way we've got to look at it, right? We're out here leading people to Jesus. We're getting the sick people healed. That's just like last night at 4 o'clock. That was stuck a note on my door and said, Thurman, this young man called and he wants you to call him. I said, okay. I called him. I said, son, sir, how can I help you? He said, I have a lady friend that's in the hospital in Decatur in critical condition. And she's had MS, I believe it was, for the last 10 years. And so now she has uh, pneumonia. And the doctor says she won't never leave the hospital alive. He said, I heard about your ministry, and I wonder what I would have to do to get you to come over to Decatur. Since you're not too far away, could you possibly come over here tonight and pray for this woman? I said, I'll come. So I got Dave. Me and Dave went over there. We went up to that hospital. We spent about two hours out in the truck with him and talking to him. Then we went in and spent about an hour talking to this woman. And I'm going to tell you, I found the answer to her problem. This woman was not fortunate and lived in a beautiful family like I was in. She was raised up in hell on earth. She was abused. She was beat. She was told all of her life she was worth nothing. She was, a, she was an accident. She, they didn't plan her to be. They didn't want her to be here. She was unworthy. And although she had come to know Jesus, and she had done some wonderful things for Jesus in her life, this woman thought she was unworthy to be healed. I, she couldn't even talk. When I got into her room, she had a trach put in her throat for, for that she could breathe. They had a thing put on her. She was so weak, and she's only 39 years old. <clears throat> Technically speaking, she had yielded to the forces of darkness that made her believe she was nobody. She was worthless. She was unworthy. And I began to tell her, I walked in and got right down in her face. I said, young lady, are you a Christian? And I said, if you can't talk, if you're a Christian, blink your eyes. And so she blinked her eyes. I said, okay, you're a daughter of the king. I said, now then, you've got to know if you are a child of God, you work directly for the king of the universe. Do you know that? And she just opened her eyes real wide. She couldn't. And I said, do you know you're a beautiful princess in the kingdom of God and you are worthy to be healed? And her eyes got wider. I kept telling her, you're a daughter of the king. You're a princess of the king of the universe. He died for you. I said, you're worthy to receive his healing power. 
And I told her those kind of things over and over for at least an hour. I said, now then, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to lay my hands on you and I'm going to drive this sickness out of you and I'm going to guarantee you the king of the universe is going to heal you, woman. And we left on that note. And man, she was trying to smile and everything else when we left. You know, now then, God, I believe, when Dave and I drove off in that place, I said, Dave, I've done this a many a time for a many a person, and this is why I get to see God do some awesome things, because I go to those places, and I take His Word, and I pound it in them, and then I pray in faith, expecting the King to show up. And I said, He does. He does. I said, He'll do something mighty with this woman. I said, because you noticed everything we said to her was right out of the Word of God. He said, I know it. He said, this is awesome. And the young man that walked us outside and everything, he said, I want your names and numbers. He said, I don't never want to leave, lose touch with two men of faith like you two guys. Hey, I told him, I said, everybody in the church ought to be just like us. Everybody ought to be men and women of faith. He said, well, I don't meet many like you two. I said, but no, what a shame. We should all be these kind of men and women of faith. Shouldn't we? Yes. Jesus is the one that made us a promise. Now, see, he's telling us in Luke 18 how persistent we need to be. He says, you should be in constant prayer and to show them that you must never give up. So what do you think God wants us to do? Give up? No, he wants us to be the winner in every case. So he gives us a story. He said there was a judge in a certain city. He said he was a godless man. Now, this is a godless man. Jesus is giving us a story about the world. He said this man was godless and with great contempt for everyone. Nobody he had no respect for nobody. I don't care who you are. You say something my court I don't like, you go to jail. He didn't care who you was. You know, this guy had no love for God or man or nothing else. And then it's a widow of that city. A little widow. And that said, he came to him repeatedly appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. Did she come back one time? How many times? How many times did it say this little woman came back in Luke 18? How many times? Did she come back once? No. Rosemary, she came back how many times? Repeatedly. She kept coming back and coming back and coming back before the judge. The judge said, I ain't going to do nothing for you. She come back and said, Judge, please. He said, I told you I ain't doing nothing for you. She come back and said, Judge, please. This is a godless judge. Has no respect for this woman. But this woman keeps coming back. She come back and said, Judge, I want justice. Would you, woman, you get out of my court. Tomorrow she's standing there again. And Jesus said, if that's the way it is with a godless man... In a, in this, and he says, the judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. <laughs> Praise God for a persistent person, right? I mean, she kept coming back and she wore this godless judge down. Every day he looked up and said, oh my gosh, I hate to go to work there. I bet you that woman's going to be there again. 
I mean, she's been there every day. I keep telling her to get lost and don't come back, but she don't listen. She's standing at my door every day. I fear neither God nor man. Now, there's some judges like that out there today, too. They have no fear for God or man. They don't respect nothing. He said to himself, but this woman is driving me crazy. Praise God. Just think about this example Jesus is giving us. I'm going to see that she gets justice. I'm going to take care of her case. I am tired of her showing up in my courtroom every day. Because she is wearing me out with her constant request. I mean, to take this to heart, listen to what he's trying to tell you here. It says here, Then the Lord said, Jesus said, Learn a lesson from this evil judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice so don't you think God will surely give justice to His chosen people who plead with Him one time? Oh, what, how often? Day and night. Not just in the daytime, but day and night. Lord, I'm your daughter. Or Lord, I'm your son. Jump up in His lap and come bold in and say, God, i got a real problem. I don't, I don't care if the problem is with you or your husband or your children or whatever it is. Every day until your answer comes, you need to be on God's doorstep. In the morning when you get up, you need to go before the throne of grace and say, Lord, my son's not doing what I want him to do. He's not serving you. He's out there in the world. He's doing all kinds of bad things. Now, Lord, I'm asking you to move on his heart. Do something to this boy. I think about the story I heard about Kenneth Copeland. I mean, you would never dream this now about Kenneth Copeland. But when Kenneth Copeland was a young man, he didn't want to serve God. He wanted to go out and sing and be a part of the world. And so he, you know, I remember hearing Kenneth say one time in one of his stories, I was listening to him tell on television, he said, I was singing with the world. I was having a good time. He said, my mother was before the throne of God. And my mother said, where are you going this week, son? He said, I ain't telling you. I ain't telling you. So he said, I went out and all, I forget where he was, New Mexico or somewhere, and he's singing in some club or something. And all of a sudden, there's in that club, and the phone on the wall rang, and the men won't answer it. And he said, Kenneth, it's your mother. She wants to talk. He said, my mother don't know I'm even here. How in the world did she get the phone number in this club? He goes over and said, Mama, is this really you? She said, yes. I said, How did you get this phone number? She said, God gave it to me. I was petitioning him, and he said, call him right now and tell him I told him to get out of that club. He said, now, when God starts telling your mother where you are and giving her the phone, you better start shaking. So he said, I thought, okay, God, if, if you're really doing that. So those little things changed Kenneth Copeland so that he no longer stayed with the world. If he hadn't had persistent praying mother like this woman, Kenneth Copeland today might have been a druggie. You know, he might have been a, he already might be dead. You know, because he is just like you and me, nobody in, when they come up, nobody is seeking for God. We're all looking to serve the world because we're children of the devil. You know, everybody wants to go the ways of the world. You know, that's just the way we're made. But because of a persistent, godless mother, 
coming before the throne of grace. Can you think, can you even imagine that she's on the throne of grace and Lord, that son you give me, Kenneth, I mean, he's not doing what I know you want him to do. Lord, you've got to do something. And she's persistent every day and finally said, okay, this is where he's at. He's out in New Mexico in a bar or whatever it was. Here's the phone number or the pay phone. Call him and told him, I told you to tell him to get out of that place. How would you like to have a mother? How, do you think God can do something like that? Do you think that story was real? Sure. Why did God? God knows everything. And He can talk to you and tell you anything if you're persistent and stay with it. And God wanted to tell her those things. But because that woman, that mother of Kenneth Copeland was so persistent. I mean, I heard him tell that story like that been years ago. But he said, I couldn't believe that my mother knew where to get that phone number of that club I was playing in. When I asked her how she got it, she said, God, give it to me. Isn't that something? That is something. Hey, there's my honey bunny. Praise the Lord. She did make it. Praise God. My shopping girl. Now, this, this is supposedly ours right here. These two here. <laughs> oh, goodness. But anyway, the Lord is telling us here. He says, learn this lesson from this evil judge. He says that if we plead with him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. I like that, don't you, Deborah? When we persist and stay in there, he grants us justice quickly. So what he's trying to say, when you start praying and asking him for something, don't ever give up. It's just like this precious little lady sitting back here. She walked in a while ago. She said, of all my years of depression, she said, I have been depressed all of my life. But now that she's learned who she is in Christ, and she said, driving away the devil under depression was one of the easiest things she's done. No more depression, right, honey? No more. Praise God. Now, you, didn't you say you started the depression started when you was about two or three? At three years of age, having depression... And why was the why how could the devil beat up on her like that all these years? Just like God has done an awesome thing in her daddy. I mean, he's just done some wonderful things. But her, she'd been beat up on by the devil because when the devil came to put that depression on her, she didn't know how to drive him away. Even though somewhere along the line she became a Christian, but nobody ever told her who she was in Christ and the power she had over the forces of darkness. So all those years she had been beat up on, and I told her. When she came to me, I told her, I said, that's real easy. All you got to do is just take Isaiah 61 and start praising the king. And I said, when you start praising the king, it drives away the spirit of heaviness. The Bible says so. So she started worshiping and praising God, and her heaviness, her depression left. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? See, the Word has all the answers, doesn't it, young lady? Sure it does. The Word has all the answers. And see, God wrote this book and gave us all the answers. And this is the best-selling book in the world and the least read of any book in the world. A bestseller, and nobody knows anything about it. I know. I was one of those for years and years and years. And then the, the next devastating thing is when I did start reading it, I didn't believe it, officer. Have you been there and been guilty of that too? You've been there too. So I guess there's not any of us. Yeah, we read the law, but we don't believe the law means what it says. And in your job, there's a whole lot of better that see the sign every day. 60, but they're driving 70 and 80 and 90, right? 
couldn't be 60. You're stopping or somebody stopping them all day every day, isn't it? Because the law says 60 or 70 or whatever it is, and they don't believe it. That's exactly the way we are as Christians. We read this book, and we don't believe what God said in His Word. But the consequences are there. You know, when you don't believe it, you know, you have to get a ticket. I mean, that police officer, you know, I'm going to tell you, I don't care who you are. You can be driving down that road uh, 60, 70, or maybe 10 or 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. And if a police officer pulls in behind you, if he just pulls behind you, not even turn his light on, you have to look up, all of a sudden your heart sinks just a little. And you say, did I do something wrong? Why is he right behind me? Now, maybe you all don't go like that, you know, but, you know, it's real easy to think like that, you know what? Especially if he follows you for a block or two. You say, uh-oh, I must have done something wrong. I made a turn wrong. Just like the other day up at Argyle, I pulled up and a police officer pulled right up behind me at the, at the red light. I give a signal, normal, like I always do, and I turn right and I drive down the road. He turned right and he followed me for about a mile. I made sure I was driving exactly the speed limit. Not one mile an hour over. But I try to do that all the time anyway, but I, this guy's right behind me. Now, why is he following me so close? Have I done something wrong? I don't think so. I look at my inspection sticker. No, it's current. I look at my license. It's current. I thought, well, why is he following? All of a sudden, he turns his lights on. I thought, uh-oh. So I pull off. I thought, maybe he wants to go around. So I pulled off, but he didn't go around. He pulled up behind me. When he pulled in behind me, come in and says, can I see your driver's license and your insurance? I said, yes, sir, you sure can. But I said, I'd like to know what I did. He said, just a minute, I'll tell you. Give me your driver's license. I take him. I give him to him. He walks back and he does whatever he does. About 15 minutes back there, he comes back up and he says, okay, you're okay. You're clean. But he said, I just stopped you because you're right turn signal didn't work at the stoplight back there. I thought, isn't that amazing? My right turn signal. He said, you will get that fixed for me quickly, won't you? I said, yes, I will. So when I went on down to the store, I stopped one in, brought me a bug, put it in. Because I didn't want to be stopped again. But you know, what did I do wrong? I didn't technically do anything wrong. A bug burned out on my car. But it caused me to get stopped. And if I had done anything else wrong... I mean, if I'd had anything else wrong, he would have known it when he'd come back. If, what if I'd have had a ticket I hadn't paid? He'd have come back and said, oh, you got a ticket that you didn't pay last year. Now then, <laughs> he might have carried me to jail. You never know. But see, I mean, it's, it's amazing. If we don't break the law, they can't stop us. But I broke the law and didn't even know I broke it. Now, I wonder how many times we do that in the spirit world. We break God's rules because we don't know what His rules are. And so we get stopped. But he says now then, I tell you, He will grant justice to them quickly. But when I, the Son of Man, return, how many will I find who have faith? If the king were to come back tonight in the church, first of all, let me ask you this question. How many of you would be just like I was 30 years ago? If you said, Thurman, you have faith, I'd have said, I have faith. I didn't know what it meant. I had no idea what it meant to really have faith. And I'm not too sure I understand it today. You know, but I understand a little of it anyway. 
Because I am seeing the Lord answer some of my prayers. I am seeing God do some great and wonderful things. Aren't we, Will? We're seeing Him do some things. So we must have a little bit of faith, right? But He wants us to have how much faith? Great faith. And that's what He said. He wants us to have great faith. That's what He's training us up to be. People of great faith. How do we know that? He's conforming us into the image of His own dear Son. Now, did His Son, Jesus, did He have great faith? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, whenever some of the disciples were sent out to pray, when He said, now I'm going to empower you guys with power to go out and heal the sick, save the lost, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. So they went out and began to preach the Word, and people got saved. They begin to lay hands on the sick and drive out demons. And they come back in Matthew chapter 10 and uh, just a few verses later and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said, I know. I've given you power over them. But then just a little bit later, they run into a young man that had an epileptic demon in him. And they rebuked it and commanded it to leave. And he didn't go away. And they thought, whoa, this didn't work. Now, why did this not work? We rebuilt this devil. Now, see, they happened to run into one that was a little more persistent. You know? You run into those kind of people out there all the time, don't you, Oscar? You know what I'm talking about. Some people that are good people, when you turn your light on, they pull right off and stop, right? And some of them don't. Like the video we saw the other day, when you turned your light on, he didn't pull off and stop. He was very persistent. And we saw a 10-minute chase through the streets of Dallas with him behind a guy. Awful. I mean, it's awful, you know, what, what the devil does. And some of those people out there, you run into these people all the time, though, don't you? I mean, uh, good people are, are easy to stop and to talk nice. They just broke the law, whatever. But when you get a really hoodlum, I mean, these guys are not nice. You know, that's when, that's when I wouldn't want to be. What he is. I, I'm glad he's a police officer. Lord, I pray for him. I ask you to protect him, watch over him. But Lord, I'm glad he's doing that, not me. You know. So glad, Lord. You know, but I know you empower him to do what you empower him to do, and I know you send angels to walk around him and protect him too. And I'm so grateful that you take care of your children. All of us being called to do something different. But the Lord is telling us that we need to be very persistent in what we're doing. Because the faith that we have, which we think we have a little bit of faith, but if you're not seeing God demonstrate His self in power and authority, you have very little faith. Very little. If you're not seeing God answer prayers, just to give you an example the other day. The other day, Cheryl, and some of you heard me tell the story already, but it's a good example. She's my best teaching aid, I have. You know, the other day, she was putting her makeup on to go speak to a men's group to raise money for these children. She does this every year for all different. And the morning, she's trying to get all pretty and fixed up really nice and everything because she's going to stand before a bunch of men. And men like to look at a pretty woman. That's just the way men are. You know, so she wants to be exceptionally pretty because she wants them to give her money for these children. You know, she's smart. So she wants to put on a little bit more uh, eyelash or stuff or whatever. And when she does, she sticks the thing in her eye. I mean, she hits her eye with it. And her eye starts running. And now the makeup is running. She's having all kinds of problems. And she's not near as beautiful as she thinks she wants to be. 
And so she calls me and says, honey, you got to pray. Well, I prayed. Well, she leaves, and 20 minutes later, she's down the freeway, and she's getting close to being there. And she called back and said, honey, you got to pray again. And I just told her, I said, I prayed, and I prayed in faith. It's done. Now, see, is that bold, violent faith? See, that time I didn't pray a second time. I was just felt led that I prayed once, and when I prayed a while ago, I prayed in faith, and it's done. And I was just about that bold with her. I said, honey, I prayed with you a while ago. It's done. Just thank God for your healing. She called me back ten minutes later. She said, within five minutes after I called you, I was completely clear. Now, Jesus understands, and he loves faith, doesn't he? We're standing on his word. It's His promise, and He expects you and me to believe those with no doubt in our heart. And when we stand on His Word, He shows up for you and me every time. But what if you don't have faith? What if the disciples were talking about when that epileptic demon, these boys couldn't cast this demon out? So they're dumbfounded. We've been speaking to demons lately, but this ain't leaving. So Jesus shows up and says, what's wrong? And the man says, sir, I brought my son to your disciples to heal him, and they could not. And this is one of those cases where Jesus, I can just see him now looking over at his boy and say, you, foul, you, unbelieving, no faith critters. How much like for Jesus look at you and talk to you like that? He said, bring the boy to me. And the man said, Lord, if you can do anything, please help me. He said, what do you mean if I can do anything? He said, if you can believe, nothing shall be impossible with you. Now, what kind of power do we have from the king if we can believe? All. We've got to remember that. It's all. So Jesus cast out the devil. Commanded the beast to leave, and the little boy was thrown down on the floor. That raging demon throws that little boy down. And everybody said, good grief, he's dead. Jesus said, no, he's okay. No problem. Just pick him up. He's fine. And it says, they came to him by night and said, Lord, why could we not cast out this demon? He said, because you have no faith. Why can we not do anything? Because we don't have any faith. He said, now this kind is a very powerful demon, and this one comes out only by prayer and fasting. Fasting? Lord, what does that mean? That means going without food and prayer. Lord, going without food? I mean, if we were to miss a meal, we'd die. I mean, that's what some of us think. You know, I called a guy, or a guy called me from Australia here a while back, and he was having trouble with his son. And as we were talking, I said, well, you know, to find out really what's wrong with your son, I said, probably if you just pray and fast, uh, you know, I said that God would reveal to you what your son's problem is. He says, pray and do what? I said, fast. He said, what does fast mean? I said, do you mean you're a Christian and you don't know what fasting means? He said, no. I said, you go to church? He said, yes. I said, your church is never taught on fasting? He says, no, never heard that. I said, I go every Sunday, but I ain't never heard nothing about fasting. I said, there it means going without food. He said, completely? 
I said, yes, just drink water. He said, well, how long do I have to do this? I said, well, probably within three days you could get your answer. He said, three days? Nobody can go without food for three days. I'd die. I told him, no, sir. I can assure you, you won't die in three days. I said, I've done a three-day, a seven-day, a ten-day, a twelve-day, a fourteen, and an eighteen-and-a-half-day fast, and it didn't kill me. I said, I'm still alive and well. So I said, I can assure you, if it's any comfort at all, I mean, I'd done a three-day the first time, and I had no problem with hunger pains. Then later, I did a seven-day, but I asked the Lord to help me to take away my hunger pains. And then after the seven-day, I did a ten and then later I did a 12, and then later I done a 14, and then I said my wife and I together done an 18 and a half day with water only. And I said, uh, you know, yeah, we were a little bit weak at 18 and a half days, but I said, you know, we were okay. So I said, I can assure you that you won't die doing without food for three days, you know. But, you know, I mean, I could go back to my church, the one I was raised up in, the Baptist church. I mean, I know that when it comes to the word fast, we thought in the Baptist church that the Lord left the E out. You know, he put F-E-A-S-T-I-N-G because we do a lot of feasting in the Baptist church. <laughs> don't we, Ty? And we love that, don't we? Yes, we. I mean, when Ty and I go out of town together, and we, we feast. I mean, this last week, you know, we went up to Branson, spent three days up there, and we didn't do no fasting, did we? No, we feasted, didn't we, Eldon? We didn't do no fasting. We went out of town to have fun, and we feasted. And probably eat a little too much, you know. But uh, we didn't fast. We feast. But now God doesn't mind for you to feast once in a while, but He expects you to do a little fasting once in a while, too, and fast and pray and seek His face, and so He can reveal to you the truth of the Word of God. And sometimes that's the only way you can get that answer is by praying and fasting. Because this case here, Jesus clearly told them, if you boys want to have power to cast out this demon, you're going to have to pray and fast. And so I think about the praying and fasting, the times I've done that, and then I think about the young man that was sitting right there uh, Saturday at the healing school, Randy, some of you know Randy, but Randy, August a year ago, Randy had been on 26 different medicines, and he had had epileptic seizures for like 10 or 12 years, sometimes two or three or four a week, even with the medication. And he was having a difficult time keeping a driver's license or anything else because of these seizures, and he didn't know what the problem was. Well, he started going to church at Denton, and his pastor up there, which knew me, which had been here a lot of times, he knew of our ministry. He brought him to a healing school. And when Randy, I told him, I said, son, you've got to repent of your sins, and if you do, then I will drive that devil out of you, and Jesus will heal you. And so Randy repented of his sins August a year ago at a healing school in Justin. And he had a big leather jacket on that day because he was riding a bike. And he had all those bottles of pills in it. He said, now, what am I supposed to do about my medicine if I believe God? I said, well, son, that's between you and God. I don't tell you. I don't tell anybody to throw away your medicine. I said, if God tells you to throw away, you seek him. If he's, I said, I believe with all my heart, Jesus has heard my prayer. He's delivered you from this epileptic demon. 
and that you're healed. And I didn't realize he had all kinds of other problems, too. I mean, heart problems, uh, uh, kidney problems, uh, liver problems. I didn't know how many problems Randy had until Saturday. You know, but at the break Saturday, he come up and told me, he says, Herman, I didn't just have epilepsy. I had all these other things. That's why I was taking 26 different drugs. And he said, when I got home that day, when I asked you, should I get off my medication, you told me it's between me and God. He said, I had all in pills in my big leather jacket. I said, I got on my bike and I rode home. And when I got home and t- started to get off my bike, I reached in my pocket and it was empty. And I reached in this pocket and it was empty. He said, I assumed that that was God telling me I didn't need no medication. So he said, I ain't never had a pill since. And he said, I hadn't had a seizure. My kidneys are working. My liver's working. He said, everything in my body is perfect. And it's been that way for a year and a half. I mean, do we serve an awesome Jesus? Hey, does praying and fasting work? Yes. See, those praying and fasting times we've spent has allowed me to walk in an anointing that will get that young man set free. Now, what if I'd never been willing to pray or fast? He might still be sick. And then whose fault would it be? His and mine. He's the sinner, and I'm the sinner too, because I don't do what God told me. God told me and you to pray and fast. Now then, if you're like I was, many, many years of my life, Paul said, I fasted often. I read that, but it didn't mean nothing to me. I mean, man, we go to church, you know, them girls up there, we had a Sunday up there or something to do. You know, we never had a time to fast and see God, but we sure had a lot of feasting days up there. That's one thing I will ask about them Baptist girls. Of course, i got a feeling it's not only the Baptist girls. It's Pentecostal girls. It's every girl, I think, they know how to fix good groceries, and especially the women at church. You know, they can, you can say, we're going to have a little something at church, bring your favorite finger foods. And good grief, there'll be enough there. You've got 50 people there. There's enough stuff to feed 200. You know? Any of y'all ever been to one of them kind of deals? I've been to lots of them. But that's just like, uh, uh, I can't think of that doctor's name right now. Anyway, he's a, he was a Church of Christ. And he came to a healing school with nine of his people from his church. And we got to see God doing some awesome things through that little ministry that they had down at that Church of Christ down in South Texas. In fact, after he came to the first healing school, he went back to the Church of Christ the next Sunday, next day, and he said when the youth leader and his wife walked in, he looked them right in the eye and he said, you two still trying to have a baby? They said, yes. Been trying for years. They'd been to his office. He couldn't help them. He couldn't find nothing wrong with it. He's a medical doctor. But they couldn't get pregnant. He said, I'm going to tell you, Yesterday, I come from a place where a man got to talk the Word of God in a way that I've never heard it. My, he said, my faith right now is higher than it's ever been. He said, do you two want a baby? They said, yes. He said, then upon John, John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to put a baby in her womb right now in Jesus' name. He said, now you two go home tonight after church and do what you're supposed to do to get pregnant. He said, 30 days later, my phone rang one afternoon, and she says, Doctor, i done a pregnancy test, and I think I'm pregnant. He said, you don't do it in the evening. You do it in the morning. She said, well, I'm about two days late on my cycle, and I think I'm pregnant. He said, take it in the morning early. He said, six o'clock the next morning, my phone rang again. And it hurts. He said, I've done it again, and it's still positive. He said, okay, come in, and I'll check you. And said, she was. 
And nine months later, that little girl had been trying all that time, could not have a baby. They brought forth a beautiful baby boy into that church of Christ. Now, this, this, this doctor, I mean, this doctor's faith went like this time. I mean, he saw God work like he had seen the promises. And when he did it by faith and he prayed his first prayer for a woman that had been trying to have a baby for years, couldn't have, and she got pregnant that night. That night she got pregnant. I mean to tell you, he said, he told me later, he'd come back to a healing school, talked to him several times in the next few years. He said, we have a men's weekend out Friday and Saturday uh, a lot, you know, and he said, we all have a time that we go out and we supposedly study the Word. Most of we play games and all this kind of stuff. But he said, I told him, it's my time to be in charge of the event. And so he said, let's meet it Friday afternoon, or th- I think it was Thursday afternoon, and let's take Friday and Saturday all day off, and let's go out and seek God and pray. And so he said, I got about 15 or 20 men in the church that said they'd go. So he said, Thursday afternoon, we all met after work. We went out in the woods to this little cabin that I'd uh, reserved, and he said, we on the lake somewhere down there. And he said, we got out, and we're there, and everything. And he said, we got our Bibles out. And one of the men said, well, who brought the food? He said, we didn't bring any food. He said, what? No food? He said, no, we're going to fast and pray and seek God. One of them said, Thursday night? Friday? Friday night? Saturday? And we don't go home till Saturday night. We're going to die. He said, no, trust me, you won't die. I'm a medical doctor and you won't die. But he said, let me tell you, I didn't tell none of them we were going to fast and pray until I got them out there and got the door locked. (laughs) Now see, when you've seen God's Word work, when he says fast, when he asks me, he says, Herman, how do you do these things? I said, well, I fast and pray and seek God. He said, that's where we're really missing it. He said, we have never, ever had a time of fasting and praying in our church. But he said, we're going to hell. And he did. Now, I'll tell you, he didn't tell those guys they were going to fast and pray. He said, we're going to have a time of praying. He didn't tell them they were going to fast. And they got them there and got the door locked. <laughs> That's almost the way you have to do it with men. I mean, women's the same way, though. You know, I mean, they don't want to do without food either. I mean, I mean, you have an event. Everybody wants to bring the food. But to go and fast and pray and seek God? Hey, forget this. But you want to see God do something wonderful if you get 10 or 15 men or 10 or 15 women that's willing to go somewhere together, lock themselves up with the Word of God, and nothing but a time of fasting and praying on their face before God and seeking Him and being persistent and calling Him into remembrance of His promises. There is no limitations of what you can see God do after you've spent two or three days like that. Isn't that amazing? He tells us to seek Him. Be persistent. You know, no tell. I mean, I think about this group of men. I read a book here a while back about a man that said when I learned about fasting and prayer, he said, I got seven men from the church and we fasted and prayed. So we all took time off and said we fasted and prayed. He said, I preached on Sunday. But he said, the rest of the time, we locked ourselves up in the church and we took 21 days and we didn't do nothing except on our face before God fasting and praying. Water only. He said the 21st day, 
we walked out of that church in the power of the Holy Ghost and was walking down the street and a young man in a wheelchair that had cerebral palsy so bad came up and one of the men said, can I pray for you? And went up and laid his hands on and said, the boy was instantly healed. 21 days of fasting and prayer. He said, you talk about lighting our fire. Isn't that awesome? Why can we not cast this demon out, Lord? What was his answer? Fasting and prayer. If we can't get our prayers answered, it must be because we either don't have any faith, we don't believe the promises of God, or we've not spent any time fasting and praying. Now then, serving God in the kingdom has a cost, doesn't it? Can you imagine the cost that group of men in that church that spent those seven men that spent 21 days before God fasting and praying. But did he pay good dividends for that cerebral palsy boy? Oh, man. Absolutely fantastic. Seeking God. See, he's telling us here in Luke 18. He is telling us to be persistent, be in constant prayer, and never give up. And then he goes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, no matter how many promises I made you in my word, my answer to every one of them is always yes. Now, if that's written in the word and we don't get our prayers answered, something wrong with us, isn't it? Is something wrong? What is wrong? We either don't believe him, we have no faith, or we've not spent any time with the king fasting and praying. You know? And I was a I was a good church member for a lot of years. Never saw God do not one single thing. Taught a Sunday school class, visited a Tuesday night visitation, went to Wednesday night prayer meeting. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday morning Bible study and worship service, back Sunday night, went visiting on Sunday afternoon. I mean, take visitation card, served as a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. Never saw an answer to prayer. If I did, I didn't know it. How much faith did I have? Zero. I mean, that's, I didn't even have tiny faith, Will. I had zero faith. I mean, if you don't ever see God do nothing, you don't have no faith, right? If you've got a little bit of faith, a little bit of faith, you'll get to see God do something once in a while. You'll do something... But when you begin to get this kind of thing that we see here in Luke 18, was you going to say something, Deborah? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, so we can hear. So they can hear. Let me get you a microphone here right quick. I was just going to add, when I was in the Word today, I found in Hebrews where it says, I will never, never fail you or forsake you. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Never. Of course, I know that's in there. I've read that many times. I will never forsake you. But you know, I'll tell you, in Matthew chapter 28, he also said, All power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he says, Now you go and make disciples, and you teach the new disciples to do everything I have commanded you to do. Now see, this is something in Matthew 28, when he says, I have commanded my disciples to go out, save the lost, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. I've commanded them to do that. That was in Matthew chapter 10. 
That's when he says, I give you power over all that. I command you to go do this. And then when he starts to go back to heaven, he says, now you go out and make disciples and then you teach the new disciples to do everything I have commanded you to do. I mean, I don't know how we missed this. He commands us to go out and pray for the sick, save the lost, pray for the sick, cast out demons, and cleanse the lepers, and to raise the dead. And boy, when it comes down to raising the dead, you talk about that devil. I mean, you could just, you could even, somebody can call you and say, would you come raise the dead for me? And I mean, if that devil says, Andy, you're going to go, it ain't going to work. And you know what we do? We believe him. We believe him. I have only had the faith to see one man raised from the dead in my whole life. And I feel so ashamed of myself. Only one. And I've never been able to walk on water yet, unless it was frozen. And, and not shameful. Jesus said in John fourteen twelve. What did Jesus say in John fourteen twelve? Anybody know what that verse says? What does he say? Somebody else look it up. I want everybody to see this. I don't just go by what Eldon said. I want you to see it in your Bible. I want you to see what Jesus said you can do. John fourteen twelve. Oh, wait, what do you say then? John, greater. There's something wrong then with me and you, ain't there? Yeah, you're going to be in agreement with me on that one, aren't you? You're in agreement with me. Guarantee. So then there's something wrong with us, isn't there, Ellen? We're a little bit slow. I mean, this is a command from Jesus. Not only can we do the same things He's been doing, but greater things than these that He's done shall we do in His name. Oh, what does that say? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then the thirteen says, but for now you've asked me nothing. Asking me my name that my Father may be glorified. Amen. And He says, and I love John 14, 13, 14. You got me going on that one. It's just so easy to remember. It's just that fast. Anything in my name. What, so if, if we shall ask anything in His name, then why in the world, when people call us, why don't we go and pray for people? Why don't we go expecting God to do something great? Oh, that devil. You know, he'll say, oh, you old worthless woman, you. The battlegrounds of mine, right? You old worthless critter, you. You don't think God would do nothing good for an old worthless critter like you? You ever heard that voice too? All the time. I hear it regularly. Or he'll, he'll say it to a preacher. He'll say, you worthless critter, you. You don't think that God still does those kind of things anymore? And guess what we do? I believed him for a long, long time. I believe him for a long time. Just like here a while back, I walked to a, I was in a Baptist church. I walked by the door and one of the men said, Sermon Scripture, come in here. I said, okay. I walked in. He said, why is it when you lay hands on the sick, they get healed? I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, have you ever laid hands on anybody and rebuked the devil and expected them to get healed? He said, well, absolutely not. I said, there's your problem. I said, when I lay hands on them, I expect it to happen. I expect my king to do what he said would happen. Because he said in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, 
These signs shall follow those that believe. Are you a believer? Are you a believing believer? Now see, there's a difference between a believing believer and an unbelieving believer. Ty made a statement to me the other day that has just really worked on me ever since he said it. And I think he said it when we was up in Branson. He said, many people confess Jesus with their mouth, but the believing in their heart is where it comes, where the problem's at. You're the one who told me that, right, Ty? Yeah. You said we can confess it with our mouth, but we can't believe it with our heart. And because we don't believe it with our heart, it don't work. Oh, okay, okay. I don't know where, I don't know where he came up with this water, but he made that statement to me, and I'm telling you that stuck with me. Wow, that stuck with me. Yeah, the, whole, the Holy Spirit had been putting that on my heart last week. And Saturday, we had this gentleman that came and I could tell that he had some real demons in him. And so I, I at, at the break, we had a healing ministry Saturday afternoon. So at the break, I asked him to go get a, uh, asked him if he'd like to go with me down the street to get some tea. And when we got down there, we, we sat down and I started drinking some tea. And I started talking to this man. And I asked him if he'd, if he'd like for the Lord to take over his life. And he said yes. And so I laid him in the sinner's prayer, and I was, you know, I was really getting excited. But I could see there was something that wasn't there. The eyes, he was still dead. I could see it in the spirit. So I said, "Do you believe what you just said?" And he said, "Oh yeah, I believe it." And then I remembered what the Lord had shown me again. That morning, he's been showing that to me for a week now. I said, I'm going to lay hands on you, and I'm going to ask the Lord to put a new heart in you and give you a new tongue and let Jesus speak through you. And when I laid hands on him and started to ask the Lord to give him a new heart, he grabbed my hand and threw it back and said, I don't want a new heart. And I don't want Jesus speaking through me. I'm a demon killer, and I'm an angel of God, and I was sent here to kill demons. So, even though he confessed with his mouth, he didn't believe in his heart. And when I asked him, he didn't want a new heart. It's an awesome, awesome thing. So, so that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. That's, see, that's, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. In fact, when we look in the church, I, there's been a lot of people walk down an aisle and say, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. They confess him with their mouth. But there's never a change. Never a change. They didn't become a new creature. They confessed it, but the Lord says in His Word, you've got to confess it with your mouth and you've got to believe it with your heart. So when you turn your heart over to Him and He goes inside, just like I asked the Lord years ago, I said, Lord, I want you to take the inside of my heart I want you to scrub it with a wire brush and I don't want nothing bad left in it. I want only you in my heart. I want to turn my whole self and my whole being over to you. I'm going to tell you you have enough problems even when you give give yourself to it. you still got to battle with the flesh. you know. But if you're like this young man Ty was talking about, when he saw there was no change, he said, I want to ask the Lord to put a brand new heart in you and for Him to take control of your tongue. And speak to you. And he started praying. Man, he grabbed his hand and said, no, I don't want that. 
I don't want that. And then when Ty told me that, I talked to him after the healing school, and I said, what you need to do is believe in Jesus. He said, I believe in Jesus. I said, you need to become a Christian. He said, I am a Christian. I said, no, you're not. I said, you do not believe in Jesus. He said, just like he told Ty, he said, I'm a devil cruncher. And then I said something to him that lit his fire, and in the next few minutes, he said at least a dozen of the most foul, awful, wicked words even used the word G.D. right here in my presence. Even damned God's name right out of his mouth. And I told him, I said, son, you have not got Jesus in your heart. You might confess him with your mouth, but you don't know the king. You don't know him. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, so they can all hear you. Yeah. That, that was another thing. I, as I was talking to him, I asked him, I, I asked him, I asked the Lord to forgive him for any time he'd used the Lord's name in vain. And he told me, no, I don't want to do that. I said, why? And he said, because when I curse the Lord, these demons think I'm really on their side. Yeah. Yeah. And later, later, as I talked to his, to his mother and his mother's sister, uh, or, her, or her sister, they said that he had, had stolen and, and sold everything they had in the house. And that he had all this voodoo and black magic and stuff he'd written on the walls and graves and tombstones that he had stolen and put out in the yard. So there was, there, there was not much we could do for this man. Except turn him over to the Lord. You know, it says in Scripture that we, we turn him over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, that their souls might be saved. And, and, and people don't understand it, but what, what that really means is you turn him over to God, and God will turn him over to Satan, and Satan will attack them. And if there's someone praying and interceding for him, and in this case the mother and her sister, then he'll have a chance. You'll have a chance to come out of that. And so, you know, they're praying for him. And they, we all prayed and asked the Lord to take over. It's the only chance this man has. The only chance. only chance. And so, uh, three of us and, and Thurman, all four, we just all agreed in, in prayer that that uh, the Lord would take over and send the Holy Spirit to do whatever is necessary. It hurt. It hurt. And then, you know, I... I began crying because his mama was crying. And I began crying because I said, Lord, Lord, I told the mama, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I couldn't get these demons out of your son. So, so, you know, the prayer and fasting is so true. I guess I'm going to have to do more because I've, I've come across this particular demon four times now. And I've never gotten him out. He's a powerful, powerful demon. It is a sad thing, you know, but that's just like Ty said. More praying and fasting because Jesus, when he, Jesus, when he was over in Gadara, those demons that were in those two men, there were such powerful demons, nobody could get them out. I mean, those two men were so possessed. They ran through the graveyards. They cut themselves. They screamed. They used vulgar things. They did everything. And when Jesus walked upon the scene, as holy as he was, the men approached him, and he commanded. He said, 
I command you to come out of him. And they didn't come out. They did not come out. If you read that, you'll see. They did not come out. Even when Jesus commanded them to come out, they did not come out. And he continued to command them to come out. And finally, one of them said, Okay, if we have to come out, don't send us out of the country. Let us go into those hogs. And Jesus says, Go! First of all, during all this, he said, What is your name? That our name is Legion, for we are many. And boy, I'm telling you, they were many, okay. And well, he continued to rebuke them and command them to come out. And they were persistent. And they finally said, okay, if we have to come out, let us go into the hogs. He says, go. And it says those demons came out. And in the book of Mark, it says that the hog number was 2,000. And at least a demon went into each of 2,000 hogs, which could have been three or four or five in each one, because the legion back in that day was 6,000. How would you like to have 6,000 of these beasts in you? No, I don't know one. I had one one time that I knew of, and he created a terrible problem for 30 years of my life. When somebody said, well, I ain't never had a demon, that's a good sign right there that you don't have a clue what's going on, because I'll tell you, there ain't no human being hadn't had a demon, and most of us have had many of them critters. Most of us had many. But I know that that night when I kicked those out of me, I don't know how many more left, but I know the ones that have been creating my infirmity for 30 years left because my infirmity left. And I ain't never had it since. Now then, like I say, if you don't know what the infirmity was, it was athlete's foot. I'd had it for 30 years. Had it since I was a teenager. Who knows how I opened the door to let these beasts in when you are a kid? Who knows how many times you sinned? And you do all kinds of stupid things when you're a kid. That opens the door for devils. But I don't know how many I got, but probably several. But many years later, 30 years later, when God spoke to me, I've been questioning everybody. I mean, I went to my Baptist pastor. Is it possible for me to have a demon living in my body? He said, oh, absolutely not. Well, that was comforting, but I, I didn't feel like that was the right answer. So I, we had a couple of different PhDs from the seminary over one time. And I went to them, each one of them, off to the side. I said, sir, it, I know you're a Ph.D. in the seminary and you teach the Word of God over there every day. I said, is it possible for me to have a demon living inside my body? And he said, absolutely not. He said, you, you, a Christian cannot have a demon living inside your body. Okay. Went to the other one. He told me the same thing. But I still didn't believe it. There was just something in me that I just couldn't believe that. So I went to the Lord and said, Lord, i got to know. I said, I don't know. These men obviously don't know, or at least they're, if they're right and I'm wrong, or maybe both of us are wrong, I don't know. But I know you know. And I want to know, is it possible for me to have a demon living in my body? And I said, Lord, thank you for the answer. Well, he didn't answer me. I went along there for a long time. I asked him that question several times in the next few months or year or whatever it was, and he never would answer me. I'd heard his voice several times, so I know he does talk. But he wouldn't ask me, wouldn't answer me on this question. But finally, one night, after about three or four hours of studying the Word, I came upon Luke 13:11, the little woman that had the spirit of infirmity that could in no wise straighten herself up for 18 years. When I read that story, the Lord said, "Son, you have one of those living in your body." I said, "Lord, 
I got a spirit of infirmity? He said, yes, son. I said, Lord, infirmity means sickness or weakness. And I'm not sick or I'm not weak. So I said, what is it? He said, it's your athlete's foot. I said, Lord, athlete's foot is a demon? He said, yes, son. And in my name, you have authority to drive it out. Isn't that amazing? I had stayed with him and asked him and asked him. That night I turned as a Southern Baptist deacon, as a Sunday school teacher, but up in my own private home. And I looked down at his feet and I said, You devil of hell, you come out of me in the name of Jesus. Because it's written, I know Luke 10, 19 and 20, and I know i got power over you. And the master just told me, I've got one of you. So I said, Every demon of hell that's in my body, I command every one of you to come out and go to the pit of hell and never return in Jesus' name. And I didn't do it gently. I did it boldly and authoritative just like I did there. I said, Lord, thank you for giving me power over these devils. I woke up the next morning for the first time in 30 years with a completely healed set of feet. And I have never had athlete's foot, not one time to this day. And today, my toes and feet are just as, I mean, my underneath, in fact, the other day, my feet got a little rough. Cheryl says I got alligator feet. That's what she said. So I, I know when I don't put some baby oil on my feet, if I scratch her on the leg or something, my feet, because I use my feet, let me tell you. I'm, I use these babies. I do work hard in them. So to make them soft so they don't scratch her, I, every, about once a week, I take that gentle baby lotion and I just put a whole bunch of it and rub it all in on my feet. And if I do that one time a week, my feet will say this is soft. In fact, when I took my shower tonight after I worked all day today, just before I come down here, I was drying, and I thought, Lord, how wonderful that baby all worked. My feet are so soft, and so I felt between my toes how smooth that was. I said, Lord, isn't that so smooth? I, you do, I said, to think all the years they were eat up with athlete's foot. I mean, you know, if you, you, can't, if you never had that, you can't appreciate where I'm coming from. I mean, if you if you never had athlete's foot for 30 years like I did with a bleeding and cut, and I mean, one time when I was in the military, I got where I couldn't get to a doctor, and my toes got in such bad shape when I finally got to the doctor, he told me, he said, son, if you'd have been out there a few more days, he said, we might have had to amputate those toes or eat plumb to the bone. And athlete's foot, I mean, I'm out there in the war. I couldn't get to a doctor. I had no idea that I had a demon inside my feet that I had power over eating on my toes. But God was there all the time. He knew it. But He didn't reveal it to me until years later. So any time you've had a problem like that, something that's eat on you and chewed on you and everything, when you get healed, when you reach down and feel how good a job God did on healing, I can praise Him. Thank you, Jesus, for that beautiful, smooth, slick, Toes, Lord, I'm grateful. You know, I mean, you know, like I say, if you ain't never had no problem with your feet, you can't praise Him for your feet. But let me tell you, you better praise Him for them feet, or you may have a problem like I had. Does the King love for us to worship and praise Him? Yes. And Lord, I'll never forget what you've done for me and my toes. I am so grateful. I'm grateful. You have no idea what it's like. To walk for 30 years and every time, I mean, I used to take, I, 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 I would wear my socks in a hotel room. I mean, people, I'd say, I got this terrible case of athletes. Oh, well, Thurman, it's a fungus that's in the carpet. Well, I wouldn't pull off my socks. I'd go in, you know, I'd pull off my shoes, but I'd go in and I'd get ready for a shower. I'd rinse out the shower and do everything, you know, and then I'd take my shoes and socks off, get in, I'd dry a step on a towel, and then I'd put socks on to go walk to the bed. I wouldn't walk on the carpet. I thought it was in the carpet. 
They know it's a demon. You know? Until God told me now I don't sweat nothing. I pull them socks off, walk in that carpet, dig them toes in, and stomp them around. Them devils of hell, I got power over you now. I don't sweat you now. I mean, you know, you can begin to live the abundant life when you get a hold of what God has promised you and me in His Word. Can't you? Yes. Now then, when you get that persistent prayer, you can come to Him in persistent prayer and get anything done if you're willing to humble yourself before Him, stand on His Word, and know that He is God. Just like I told you all the other day, when Sunday I guess it was, whenever Cheryl's knee, right after we got married, I didn't know she had a bad knee. I mean, she had knocked that thing off in an in a exercise machine years ago, and that had been giving her a problem for years. I prayed over that leg over and over and over for about eight months. It'd get better for a week or two, and then it'd go, get bad again, swell up again. I knew our answer is yes. I kept on praying and stood on the Word, and after about eight months, she ain't never had a problem with that knee since. Never. Now then, did the Lord tell us right here, be in constant prayer, be persistent, and never give up because my answers are always yes? Well, then why do I give up? You know, why do I lay hands on the knee and pray for it, and it gets okay, and, and tomorrow it's fine, and for two weeks it's okay, and then she says, my knee's hurting again, it's swelled up. You need to pray for me again. I said, well, God, you know, He didn't hear the prayer. He's not going to do nothing for you. That's not the way we do but that's the way we, that's the way we live as Christians. That's the way we live. If it had been God's will, He would have answered. He would have just healed it anyway if it's His will. No. We're in a battle. You've got to stay with it. Be persistent with it. You don't never give up. What if I'd give up at seven months on her leg? She'd still had it. But I knew I was not going to give up. I don't care how long it took. I was going to stay with it until I got that knee healed. And I did. Or we did. We did as a team. Every time she would have a little problem, boy, that thing would flare up. She'd come home crippled and say, honey, you got to pray for my leg again. Okay, man, I'd get a hold of that thing, do stupid things, you know. I'd get down there on that knee and I'd say, you devil of hell, come out of that knee in the name of Jesus. Somebody said, man, this guy's crazy. Hey, it worked. Didn't it, honey? It worked. We ain't got no problem with her leg no more. Whenever I think about the devil... And what, that's just like the night that I prayed for her, the first night that we went on our first date after she's accepted to marry me, you know, then we go on a date. You know, that's not the way the world does it, but that's the way we do it. You know, so after I asked her to marry me, after God told me, told her to, and told me to tell her, I mean, you know, that He told me she's going to be my wife, well, the very, on Tuesday that happened, well, on Sunday after church we had our first date. And we're sitting out there in the car talking because we don't either one know anything about each other. So we're just talking about each other. You know, where we've been, how we've lived, and, and everything. Getting to know each other. And about, we're standing out there all night, you know, sitting there in the car. You know, about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, she reaches over and cranks the car. I said, what are you starting the car for? She said, my feet are cold. I said, but honey, it's, it's warm outside. She said, well, I'm cold. I said, well, how long have you been like this? All my life. I said, cold feet all your life? She said, yes. I said, you really have cold feet? She said, yes. In fact, in the wintertime, she said, I have to sleep in double socks to keep my feet warm. Flannel pajamas. I said, well, do you want to stay like that or do you want to be changed? <laughs> now, see, it's a choice. I mean, if you're serving God, it's a choice, right, young lady? See, 
So she said, well, I, I, I'd like to have warm feet. I said, okay. I said, kick your shoes off and kick them feet over that console and let me have them. So she took her shoes off, kicked that feet around, swung them over that console. I reached up putting my hands on her knees, and I started caressing her legs from her knees down. And I come right down to those feet, and I re- begin to rebuke the devil of hell. I said, you devil of hell that's blocking the blood flow in her legs, I command you to come out of there in the name of Jesus. I said, you've been in there? I don't know how you got in there, but you got in there, and I know you're blocking that blood flow, and Jesus wants that blood to flow perfect, so I am rebuking you and commanding you to come out. I said, now, Father, I'm asking you to open all those arteries and things and let that blood flow perfect right down in her feet like it's supposed to, like you designed it and everything. And I said, Lord, it's done because you said if two of us on earth in Matthew 18, 19, if two of us on earth agree about anything we ask you for, it's done. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. I said, no, sure. You agree with that prayer? She said, well, yes, I do. I said, then tell the Father, thank you. She said, Lord, thank you for healing my feet. And the minute she said, thank you, Lord, for healing my feet, I was holding one of her feet, this ice cold and just nice and warm. And she said, perfectly warm legs and feet ever since. Now, what did God say we can ask for? If we're persistent, what can we have? I mean, did, I mean, we're His children, folks. We are God's children. We're not some... Some something off out yonder in oblivion. We're children of the king. He made us an owner's manual. Told us what we could do. Why don't we believe him? Good question, isn't it? Good question. I carried this same book around, read it for years and years and years, and it didn't mean nothing to me until God started talking to me and said, Well, son, I told you. I said, But, Laura, do you really mean that? Yes, he really meant that, didn't he? So you want your prayers answered? How? Are you going to pray just one time for something? You're going to pray until when? Until the answer comes, right? Yes, ma'am. You got? Uh, let me give you a mic here. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You got a question? Put it up there. Well, my my friend sent me an email, and it said, "Will your faith move your mountain, or will your mountain move your faith?" Okay, that's a good question, isn't it? One of them's going to move the other one, isn't it? Well, now, which one of us should move who? That's absolutely right. Our faith should move our mountain. If our faith don't move the mountain, the mountain's going to move our faith out of the way, isn't it? It sure is. And that's where most of us live. Most of us, our mountains or our problems move our faith out, and we suffer with multitudes of things. Because we don't believe what this book says. When you read and believe this book, you can pray the prayer of faith for people and see God do what we get to see Him do at the ministry center. I mean, everybody in our ministry, everybody sees God answer prayer all the time. I mean, we see multitudes of answered prayer. And some of them are very, very awesomely powerful. Awesome. Just think. I think about last Tuesday night or Tuesday night a week ago, whatever it was, when that couple drove from Hobbs, New Mexico here to be pregnant. You was here, wasn't you, Deborah? I laid hands on that woman right there, and God instantly healed that woman, instantly, right there. And, of course, her husband had only had this dyslexia for 77 years. When Ty come in, he talked to him, and Ty said, what he got from God is impossible in the physical world. Nobody can heal what he had. But God healed him after 77 years when we prayed the prayer of faith for him. Do we serve an awesome Jesus? 
I mean, we serve an awesome Jesus. Now then, if you're not having answers to prayer, and persistence. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he came and he asked me. He said, Thurman, I'm 77 years old. I had dyslexia all of my life. Do you think God can heal dyslexia? I said, no, sir. I know he can. I Everything's a piece of cake for God. And he said, well, I've never heard of anybody that ever got healed of this. And I said, but you can be the first one. I'm sure God has healed other cases of this. We just don't know about it. But I said, you know, when I pray for you, you got to stand. I said, you need to start worshiping Him, praising Him. Thank you, Lord, that I can see perfect. Thank you, Lord, that I can read perfect in Jesus' name. I said, stand. That's what you got to do. So they left here. He couldn't see nothing. I mean, he could not read. The words were all still scrambled up. You know, he couldn't put them together, couldn't read. And he went home. And they, day after day after day, he woke up. And all during the day, praised and worshiped the Lord and thanking that he could see perfect. Can't see nothing. Two and a half months come and go. Just like this woman with a persistent woman that kept going back to the judge. Sunday morning in church a couple weeks ago, two and a half months after the healing school, after he'd been prayed for, now he's worshiping and praising the king and he can't see nothing. And he gets up that morning and stands up to sing with everybody and he looks up and for the first time in 77 years, the words are all lined up, and he can read them. He can read them. Now, I would have, if I'd have been like him, I'd have probably lost it, and the whole church would have lost everything that day. But you know, but he just—he was cool. He said, "After church, I'm standing in awe that I can read the words." He said, "We went to a restaurant where we normally go, and all the crystal and everything that they normally was all beautiful and clear. I never saw anything like this." And he said, they brought the menu. I could read the menu. He said, we got home. And I told my wife, honey, I have a mir- I have my miracle. What do you mean? She, he said, I can read. He said, my wife went and got the Bible and said, read that for me. And he said, I read it perfect. He said, my wife lost it. <laughs> she started jumping up and down, screaming and praising God. And now they both jumped up and down and screamed and praised God. But see... He had been worshiping and praising the Lord like Ty said. He'd been persistent to stand and worship Him and praise Him that it's done because you made me the promise for two and a half months. And then it happened. And where did it happen? At church on Sunday morning. Can you think of a better place to happen? No, I can't. Be persistent like the widow. You won't have to wear Jesus out with your coming. He says you won't. He said if that woman wore out that judge with her coming... You just keep coming to me and I will see that you get your answer. You repent of your sins and stand on my word and walk holy and submit yourself to me and obey me and I will see that you get your answer. And is anything hard for God? No. No. See, by knowing all of these principles, that is the way Kelly and Caitlin's miracle came to pass. That's the way it happened. I stood day after day after week after month, I stood and, of course, as people kept telling me, Thurman, it's impossible. Yeah, Kelly got healed, but Caitlin, she's never going to come out of here. I said, oh, yeah, she is going to run and play. And today, let me tell you, she runs and plays. Does it pay to be persistent? Yes. Don't never give up. Your answer is always yes. Now, think, if I supposedly am a man of faith, 
And it took me that long to get Caitlin healed. Something wrong in there, see? Obviously, I don't have that great faith. I got a little low, and I got enough to get it done. I got it done. Praise the name of Jesus. Although it took a while, I got it done. And that miracle has confirmed to lots of people that have seen the doctor's report. She was impossible, and Kelly was technically impossible. And what he done for them, no man could have done. No little girl with crushed pelvis just running and playing in two and a half weeks. Her doctor said he had never, ever, ever seen anything like that. And just think, thank you, Jesus. I got to pray the prayer of faith for her. I got to guarantee them, you're going to do it. When everybody in that hospital said, it ain't going to happen, I said, Jesus is going to do it. And he did. So don't you doubt the king. You stand and be persistent, and he'll do the same thing for you that he done for me. He's no respecter of person. He loves every one of us the same, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, where you told us all these stories in your word, so we'd know what to do and how to do it. Lord, you told us over and over and over, and it's like we just don't believe. Lord, help us this week to believe your word, to stand in faith, to do what you say, and pray and pray in faith, expecting you to do what you promised to do, because you love us. Now, Lord, help us to be obedient children, to walk in love, to not get out there in that devil's world, but to walk holy and obedient to your word, and not sin, to walk where you want us to walk, so that there will be nothing to hinder our prayers. Thank you, Father. Bless every one of us this week as we go forth and reveal yourself to us in a greater and mightier way and use every one of us that's here, Lord, in a mighty way this week to bring somebody to Jesus this week. And maybe many. And Lord, get others, get people healed and delivered and everything, everything. Let us see it. And we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name.